If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, we've got a special Politics Explained with Tane Webster today. We've had a lot of questions, a lot of queries about the Super City, Rodney Hyde's role in it, what a terrible person, what a terrible idea. And so Tane Webster is along to put the questions to me. Tane, over to you. Yeah, you've sort of said a bit of what I was going to say, but basically, what's the what's the truth about the super city? Was this was this a grand, great idea of yours? Are you still happy with how it's turned out? Yes, I'm not. It's it's got to disentangle two things. Local government is a total mess, no doubt about it. It is a total mess. Yeah, and um, but one council for Auckland region is a fantastically good idea, which I'll explain. But every decision that gets made subsequent is not the fault, if you like, of having what has been dubbed a super city. I never used that phrase myself. I just called it amalgamation. And um, But it gets blame, and the councillors themselves like to blame it on the fact that there's a super city when they're actually making the decisions. And that's a difficulty. But I can whirble on about it if you'd like, Tane. Yeah, yeah, tell us tell us more. I mean, well, look, the, the first thing that I think a lot of people on our side would say, just to put this in there, is that isn't decentralisation better? That's, that's yes. I think, what's on the mind of a lot of people. Yes, yes, of course, and I'm very much of that view too. I'd like to decentralise as much as possible down to the individual and where you can't do things individually, you need a community decision. It should be done at the level of the community and so on and so forth. I thoroughly agree with that. First of all, what's wrong with local government? Well, we haven't actually sat down and decided why we have it, which seems remarkable in of itself, but it's something that's just grown and grown like topsy, and it's a total, total mess. I actually think we should just do away with local government because it's so under the thumb of central government that it actually can't do anything. You, 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 you have parliament makes the rules for local government, funds local governments for roads and so on and so forth, tells it how it's got to even make decisions. And then um, you get elected as a councillor or a mayor and you literally have no power or no say because you're on these railway tracks that have been put in place by central government. And central government literally washes its hands of the problems that you have. It's even weirder than that. Local government becomes an instrument of central government, say, for um, climate change or for achieving some environmental objective or for achieving some quality standard or safety standard. They put the obligation on local government and then wash their hands of it. And so local government is running around having to comply and take the heat. There's no proper... I don't, I don't know why we have local government. I could understand it 100 years ago when communications were different. Now I don't know. 
And of course, the other problem that we have is we think of local government as doing the basics, like, you know, the roading, the rubbish, the water, the sewage. But of course, it's become like a little government where they're doing climate change, you know, affirmative action, uh, treaty. There should be nothing to do with local government. And so um, I find it a terrible mess. The next issue that you have with local government is that you have a mayor elected and you think the mayor that he or she actually has some sway. They have virtually none because they're just one vote around the council table. And so you'll have 12 or 13 councillors and you've actually, the mayor's got to convince them to support a program and they may not. And yet the mayor is actually getting hammered because no one knows who the councillors are. You don't have that party structure that you have and out in the open, at least, uh, like in central government, where you vote the prime minister in with, with two or three parties, and there's an accountability there. You vote a mayor, and what can they do? They've got a, It's the council that decides everything, not the mayor. Crazy, right? Um, and they can't have any particular sway other than their one vote around the table. So the whole thing is dysfunctional. Here's another shocking thing. Um when I was reforming Auckland, um, I forget the number. I got in my mind 112 or 182, but it was somewhere in that number. That was the number of things that local government had to do by law. A hunt, that's a smaller number. 112 things that it had to take responsibility for by law. So that's before you get out of bed. Here's 112 things we have to do today, fellas, because central government has told us we have to do this. So uh, local government is is broken. Um, there had been a long dissension in Auckland. Um, in 1989, there was a big amalgamation. Essentially, as urban areas grew in New Zealand, small villages and towns would be gobbled up by the city nearby, and you'd be left with all these little borough councils. And so there'd be a borough council for, I don't know, Parnell, or there'd be a borough council for Mount Albert. And so um, that started to get reformed. Michael Bassett did that in 1989, where right through New Zealand, there was this big local government overhaul, and they got rid of the little borough councils. But when they got to Auckland, it all got a bit too hard. And Auckland was left with eight councils and eight mayors. Can you believe it? Plus a regional council with a chairperson. There were nine water bodies responsible for delivering water to Auckland. Nine. Now, when you say we decentralise, we decentralise as far as we possibly can. But the governing body really has to reach across their geographic region for the decision to be made. So when you're thinking of supplying water or getting rid of sewage, you've got to look at Auckland as a whole. You can't do that as a street. Yeah, I agree. You can't apply the decentralisation thinking equally to every single facet of society. It's no, you've got, to, you've got to look at the chief decisions. You've got to look at the key decisions. And you've got to say, okay, if we have this decision, because it's a collective decision, 
We may have to make this at the level of the street. We may have to do this at the level of the neighborhood. We may have to do this at the level of the town. We may have to do this at the level of the city. We may have to do this at the level of the region. We may have to do this at the level of the country. So, But when you look at infrastructure, the trouble with the infrastructure in Auckland was you couldn't carve it up in eight or nine ways. Right? Crazy, right? It couldn't be done. And it was totally failing in terms of infrastructure. Uh, you won't recall this, but what prompted the argument for amalgamation was um, Helen Clark decided to build for Auckland a rugby stadium. And they would pay for it. Auckland was going to get it for free from the tax powers of New Zealand. The eight mayors and the chair of the regional council couldn't agree on it. And it was lost. It didn't happen. And this became every single decision that confronted Auckland. And the mayors discovered that they could get re-elected. To get re-elected, they had to be in the paper. The easiest way to get into the paper was to be having an argument with another yeah. mayor. Disagree. Disagree. And so there was this performative disagreement amongst the different councils. Helen Clark got so upset by this that she organised a, a royal commission to look into how we could set a better structure up for Auckland. And that was underway before I became a minister. Meanwhile, it seemed obvious to me that when it became to roading, sewage, water, we should have one council for Auckland. And so I put a flyer out right through my electorate, and I stood in, in, in the election in 2008 or 2000, I think 2005 or 2008 on actually having one council for Auckland. So it was my campaign, one of my campaign promises. Um, for the reasons that are obvious. It got so crazy, this was in the Royal Commission report, that there was a sewage plant built on the North Shore that was nowhere near capacity. Auckland City needed more sewage capacity, went to North Shore and said, we will pay you the cost of you taking our poo because that will save us building a sewage works of our own for 20 years. North Shore said, no, we're not taking Auckland's poo. Crazy, right? Oh, and the nine councils were all borrowing money offshore they all had their finance departments and were raising money offshore for Auckland. They were literally issuing bonds nine times over. They had nine HR departments in Auckland. So this stuff was crazy, and I'll get to how, cra how, how crazy it was, and no decision could be made. If you were a government, a central government, and you say, well, look, we need to fix the roading and the public transport in Auckland, Everyone would just give up because they had to go and convince nine councils of the proposal, and one of them would always object. And the difficulty was there was a regional council that sat over the top. So even if you got, say you were trying to do something in, oh, I don't know, Auckland City, you might get Mayor John Banks, of who it was in those days, to agree, but then you couldn't get the regional council to agree, and they'd have the final say-so and veto. Anyway. The Royal Commission came out 
and they produced their big report. And I had made myself, I pushed for this, to be the Minister of Local Government because I knew this report would be landed on the desk and I figured that the government wouldn't do it and they wouldn't do it properly. And I thought I would. And so the report came out. I sat the night that the report arrived with the commissioners and it was a bit half and half. And I said to them, why didn't you advocate the whole hog? And they said, oh, well, they didn't think that would be politically acceptable, but that would be best. And I said, well, let me handle the politics, right? You're supposed to write what's best. So I didn't accept their report in full. I accepted there was a problem, but I went the whole nine yards. How do we do it? This is extraordinary. This is the extraordinary power that you have with the government, and, and it relates to what's happening now. I passed legislation in Parliament that fired every person that worked in council in Auckland. Every one of them. I think, there, I think there are eight levels, and I rehired all the, like, bottom five levels the next day. All the managers had to apply for a job. Now, I did that because I didn't want to get caught with big redundancies and all the rest of it for not, I'm not talking council workers. The yeah, ones it's that the... are fired with the managers and all that. And I didn't want to be paying redundancy for them. There's no upset over this. I can't believe that we currently have a government that's saying, oh, but they've entered into these contracts. Well, if you think they're wrong, you can go to parliament and end the contracts. I did. It also meant that all the managers were very keen to work with me because I wasn't changing their job because basically their job was going to run out in 18 months. I'd passed that in legislation. I can't remember the time frame, but basically on a certain day, every job was going to disappear and they'd be reemployed or not. Uh, all the workers went across, all the managers didn't have a job. Do you know how many managers I sacked in Auckland? 2,000. Isn't that extraordinary? Big savings, right? And that was just replication. That was just, you know, there was just no need for them all, right? So um, we produced one structure, uh, one system, one library system, one water system for Auckland, which is, in the scheme of things, a small town. And that was the logic of it. Now, did politicians then get elected and go crazy? Yes. Did they go and spend money in a crazy way? Yes. And the problem, I guess, you could say that they had was, once I'd set that system up, the mayor and the council for Auckland were powerful and could do stuff. They could do good stuff and they could do bad stuff, but they could do stuff. And if you elect people that are going to spend money, they have the ability to spend money. If you met, elect, if you could, you could elect people to do stupid stuff, and they do stupid stuff, and they did. But council now, Auckland now, is in charge of its own destiny. There are terrible things that we discovered as we went through this. I mean, water systems were falling over, water was unfit to drink. There was the small councils actually in New Zealand, because we put such heavy environmental standards on them, they can't meet them. They cannot meet them. They don't have the resources to do it. 
And you either have to say, look, we're going to have a little council and water that doesn't meet World Health Organization guidelines, or we're going to actually have a bigger council that can afford to treat the water and run a proper water system. That's the reality that we got to in Auckland. Uh, the little councils are all very cute, but if you demand a high standard for your water and for your sewage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's actually got to be a pretty sophisticated council to be able to deliver it. Uh, and that's what we delivered for Auckland. Again, local government is a basket case, but there's no one there thinking you'd fix Auckland by going back to having eight mayors and a chairman run it. Yeah. I suppose if, uh, yeah, the only way to run those more sophisticated councils on a, on a smaller level and actually have the locals pay for it would be, you know, where's the money going to come from? Maybe they'd be paying less taxes to central government and, and more rates to their council. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like the, the money's got to come from somewhere. So it's essentially is the point, right? So you, that's why to save people money and, and to get the service yeah. they needed. And they quickly hired all their mates again. And uh, we could have we could have cut, um, we had plans to cut staffing hugely in Auckland through efficiencies. And unfortunately, my political career ended because I was going to pursue that as minister. And I was wanting to greatly restrict the role of local government. I put a paper up to restrict the role of local government to its key functions not to be able to do anything it chose. It got knocked back at Cabinet. And I put a paper up to limit the ability to just increase rates willy-nilly and increase spending willy-nilly. And that got knocked back to, at, at Cabinet. But I was hopeful of doing that in my second term as Minister. But um, such as politics, I never got the opportunity. And then I had to sit on the sidelines where we elected madmen to run Auckland. And um, Who was that? Who was that? Uh, Len Brown and Phil Goff. All right. You know, I was uh, when preparing. I wouldn't for the, have. I wouldn't have those two guys run a bath for me. I uh, I looked up just the you know, Auckland City Council just in preparation for this, just very quickly, and it reminded me of that story of the guy with his um hidden thing behind the bookshelf or whatever. Yeah. Remember that story? What was that? Yeah, maybe explain that to people. I think that's kind of interesting. The hidden thing behind the is this his girlfriend. No, didn't Len Brown have like a he used rate payers? Uh, okay, Mayor Len Brown's new office. He had a a bookcase, a private bathroom and dressing room hidden behind a bookcase, and it was and it was used. Um, like I don't know if he used his the council money for it. I'm not sure. I don't know, probably look. And what do you do? You know, it's just like we, we the people that put themselves up for politics, the only thing you can do is limit what government can do. And that's what, we, that's what we've got to do. And that's why I started out um, this discussion with saying, well, what do we want local government for and what do we expect it to do? Because right now it just does as it pleases and there's got to be a limit on it. As it stands, by the way, I'd have a minister for local government appoint people to run the councils and I'll hold the central government account for what happens in the local councils because I think it's that dysfunctional. Every council in the country is actually struggling and I can imagine. Um, I, um, Nick Smith and I sacked the environment uh, 
Environment Canterbury. So we sacked the elected members and we appointed in commissioners. Oh, my goodness. The left all got upset because they wanted to be able to vote and all the rest of it. But, oh, my goodness, we got these calibre people um, to come in and run Environment Canterbury, and they sorted it out. You know, consent times dropped, streamlined, everything became professional. And Nick Smith and myself were responsible for what happened in Canterbury. And people couldn't believe it because it started to work. But they said, oh, well, once you've done this and they've sorted it out, they sorted it out, I don't know, two years. And then they had to go. And then we started electing councillors again. And it then starts not working. <laughs> and it's not that it's not democratic, because you can have the minister in charge of the appointment process. You know, that's how we run a government department. And I think that we should sort of run those councils like departments. So you'd have, you know, this many councils and they'd be run as government departments and you'd hold the minister or the government of the day to to account. Just like if, um, you know, the uh, education department or the health department or whatever department is not doing its job, you complain to the minister and the government. Well, you could do the same for local government. And funny enough, I think you'd get more accountability and a better service if you did that than what we have now. This is a very small country. And the idea we have all these elected councillors who actually don't have power because central government's always fiddling with them and changing the law on them. And they have these big, long planning processes. Why? Because central government keeps them under the thumb. Mm. Um, it's a very, very dysfunctional system. Goodness knows why you'd want to be a mayor or, or a councillor in many ways, because you get so limited power uh, to decide things because everything's being mandated from above, from central government. It's literally mandating, you know, what the UN says in this case. Yeah, well, there is, there is, there are benefits. That's why we encourage people, you know. Sure, and you can push yeah, back. Yeah, and I, influence. I, I, I shouldn't be negative, but I do get, I do get annoyed that central government won't allow local councils to be local councils. Yeah, they're not as autonomous as people think they are. No, and that's the same as a school board. You know, like you have a school board, but what decisions does a school board get to make? Actually, very few. And we're doing the same with our local council. So you, you think you're electing a council to represent you for your community, for your town, for your city, but actual fact, the big decision makers is the government of the day and they literally have a jackboot on their throats same as your school because they put the money in i i found it very interesting when i was minister of local government because as minister of local government you're only really responsible for the local government act and whenever i'd go to a big function i wasn't the big banana oh yeah that's the minister of local government who cares about him the big banana was the Minister of Transport and the Minister for the Environment. And funnily enough, for many people, the Minister of Fisheries, because they were having a huge impact. The Minister of Transport was deciding their roading funding and what roads go ahead. The Ministry for the Environment was deciding how they can move, how they can't move, what they can do, what they can't do. And the Minister of Fisheries would be regulating all the or the waterways, you know, the, the the Minister for the Environment is regulating how they're to make decisions over water. 
Oh, and treaty negotiations. I mean, the treaty negotiations would go into a settlement with Evie and say, we haven't got much money in the in the pot. How about we give you half the council? Crazy stuff, right? This is this is why um, local government is a very difficult uh, political place because we pretend it's there to represent the community and implement the community's wishes, but it's being dictated to every which way by ministers and central government. But that said, when you look across Auckland, you wouldn't help it if you had out councils. Um, and eight mayors. I mean, no one is suggesting that you do that. And yes, I would decentralise as much as possible, but when you come to a big roading project or a big water project or a big sewage project, they actually serve the whole of Auckland City and its surroundings. So right. they've got to make a decision across the whole area, and you can't divide that decision across eight jurisdictions because you'll never get agreement, and things mm -hmm. just weren't progressing. So I think um, to the extent that the national government, when it was in power, was able to progress a lot of those works in Auckland, that was only made possible by the super city. It wouldn't have happened. Now, before. another topic I guess that we could touch on here is, you know, Auckland, that's Auckland, but the topic of uh, amalgamation of councils has come up. I'm not sure which other parts of New Zealand uh, might be you know, in that conversation, I guess Christchurch may be. Uh, what's your view on, on that? I mean, personally, well, it's, up, it's, up, it's up to the local community and the central government. For example, you know, you could have a proper Royal Commission. But um, I myself would like to live in a small town with a small community and we look after things ourselves. But um, most of the time, we're sort of attached to a big city. Um, and so you end up having to make decisions around the region. And so it's fanciful to think that you could live in a little, little town um, using the roads, the waterways, um, the sewage systems, and replicating them for yourself when you're right beside a big city. You just actually hook yourself up, but then you're part of the city. And that's a reality of modern day living. Um, and so the idea that we have a little parish or a little village able to make decisions on its own uh, is not possible. And the difficulties that we have with poor water and so on and so forth, I think are often overblown. Um, but the, to the extent that we have difficulties that are alarming people, it's where you have small councils because they literally don't have the resources to manage mm. the expense of providing water and sewage and drainage to the level which people expect it and demand it these days. Yeah. There you go. Reading, there is an article from March this year, which is about uh, Christchurch City Council wanting to, or looking into being a super city. Warning, New Zealand has hit, hit, uh, reached peak rates. So I presume that's with Selwyn or White Womack uh, and the, the surrounding ones. And I also see that Banks Peninsula Council um, got merged they, into. Yes, 
they went in with, uh, that was a, a vote that they had. So they had a mayor, Bob Parker, for Banks Peninsula. And he said, the best thing we can do is to join with Christchurch. They had a vote and they did. And uh, there was a mechanism by which they could do that. And they joined. And then funnily enough, he became the mayor of Christchurch. So um, he became a mayor of their enlarged city, and of course, and then they had the earthquake. Um, but yes, uh, uh, you know, look, um, it's fixed. But I think there's a bigger question to ask first, and is what do you what do you have local government for? What do you expect it to do? What do you expect it to be raising money for? How do you, what do you be expecting it to spend money on? And too much of it now is for fanciful stuff. Yeah, not not art projects when they're in debt. <laughs> No. And, um, you know, our local council here is is spending a lot of money promoting pride projects in our libraries, which is an anathema to me. You know, my little kids go into the local library and you think, oh, this is a nice thing. They're, they're not playing with computers. They're going into the library and they're picking up these books that have been put there by radical uh, transgender theorists. And you complain to the council and they say, no, this is part of their program. And you're thinking, what what? What on earth is a local council doing promoting radical gender ideology? It's not part of their remit, but around the place we see this. So again, I think it comes back to thinking hard about what we expect our government to do. I want them to do as le the least as possible. Um, trouble me the least as possible. And the most that we should be doing is with our friends and our neighbours as a community. And um, it certainly troubles me when they waste their money on fanciful projects. Climate change is another one. You know, the Christchurch City Council got all worried about climate change and they came out and sort of condemned a whole part of their city that was close to the coast, taking the worst scenario of the computer models that even the authors of the computer models said would never happen. And they basically wrote off all those buildings and land saying this is going to be inundated by sea because models. Crazy stuff. There you go, Tane. That was our extended Politicals Explained session on the Super City. I'm sure I haven't convinced any, any anyone, and it's sort of history for me now. But that's the reason and the logic. Uh, we could have done it a lot better. Uh, I'm very proud of the job that we did and the team that we had because it's a big job. It was the largest. Uh, merger ever undertaken in Australasia. Huh. I forget uh, how many staff it involved. It was 8,000 staff and the computer systems. And we were finding that, you know, no one had proper records of who was employed. It was pretty run down and difficult. But my team um, did an amazing job. And the council workers did an amazing job. I've got to say this. Everyone that I dealt with in the council thought it was a fantastic idea. The councils. Yes, even the ones that lost their job. Because huh. they could see working in the system how it wasn't working. Yeah. And they were quite pleased that, you know, someone came along to do the right thing and take the hit. Um, and that included people that lost their jobs because they could see how dysfunctional it had become. Right. No one, well, not, if, one if not, people... one person, not one person in the council complained to me about the idea. And if you are a, a former council 
uh, employee and Rodney's not telling the truth and you didn't like it, send us an email. Yeah, please do. And tell me why. <laughs> tell us why. Yeah. There you go. Politics Explained. Send us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at radleycheck.radio. Thank you, Tane. We'll talk next week. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.